Welcome to Political as Heck, the Super Bowl edition. This is a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy, and we're not going to talk about the Super Bowl at all. <laughs> uh, so how are you doing, Todd? Good, good, Corey. Just got back from St. George, actually. Oh, good. It's rest much needed. So yeah. it does seem like things in the legislature have calmed down a bit. It's like a leadership seems to have front-loaded some of the more controversial bills. Doesn't mean that we won't have some action later, but... I think we'll have a lot more to say about what's likely to be a calmer second half of the session, maybe next week. But today we were thinking it might be ripe for a conversation about some other political happenings from Utah. There's actually several interesting things. So I'm going to start with this. Governor Spencer Cox has been in Washington, D.C. this week for the National Governors Association meeting. The NGA is the nonpartisan organization of America's governors. The Democratic governor of New Jersey is the chair right now. Governor Cox happens to be serving as the vice chair. They usually have a member of uh, each party as chair and vice chair. And the vice chair usually gets elevated to chair. And so Governor Cox is expected to become chair of the organization later this year uh, at the summer meeting. So he's been doing the rounds while he's in D.C. I know he's met with supporters and done some meetings. And he was on Meet the Press this morning where he talked about what he calls the exhausted majority. He said, I think there's a choice between the extremes and the exhausted majority. And that's the conversation we've been having this week with Republican governors and Democratic governors coming together. We're the people who have to get stuff done. And I think there are extremes on the left for sure that are driving a large part of our culture. And I will admit that there are extremes on the right too that are hurting our nation and tearing us apart. And we believe that, that this exhausted majority still exists that they're still out there, that they actually want us to work together to solve stuff, the stuff that, but the stuff that matters. Let's stop fighting about the stuff that doesn't matter and actually get to work. So that's, what, that's his quote. And I think this is Governor Cox's outlook on the world in a nutshell. And I think this is where he wants to take the NGA when he becomes chair. I, I think it's pretty clear this is how he's governed Utah. He's big-hearted, like we talked about before. He, works, he wants to work on solutions to everyday problems. He doesn't like getting pulled into cultural debates, although he definitely has been. And uh, earlier this week, he was quoted in D.C. as saying that he thought the culture wars were stupid. But um, before I give you a chance to comment on all this, Todd, I, I thought to his credit, he did stand firm when Meet the Press host is Chuck Todd. And Chuck Todd tried to play gotcha with Cox about the legislature's trans, transgender bill. I thought Governor Cox very firmly explained that we don't know the consequences of these aggressive treatments. That is like gender reassignment surgeries and hormone blockers. We don't have to go down that road today because we've talked about it so many times, but this host is just trying to trap and guilt uh, Governor Cox, but I think the, uh, the governor answered very well. I thought he stood firm, and and uh, when the host asked him about the Time Magazine article, remember this from last yeah. summer that called Cox yeah. the red state governor who's not afraid to be woke? Well, Cox himself, he called it a terrible headline, something that uh, you know you and I you know talked about at the time. So I thought yeah. he did well. And uh, to round it out, he said he's definitively not running for president, but he is running for re-election for governor in Utah. And uh, he said he prefers governors as presidential candidates. And they ticked off several who, who might run, Governor DeSantis or Nikki Haley or Sununu from New Hampshire, Christy Nome from South Dakota. Cox called them all fantastic candidates, which was, I, I think, um, kind of uh, great to hear. So, Todd, did you catch any of that coverage or have any thoughts on all that? Well, I have some thoughts. I didn't catch all that coverage, but um, I will say 
So first of all, if Cox was even thinking about running for governor, NGA would not put him in a leadership position. They have a long history. So DeSantis and, you know, governor of South Carolina, the governor of Maine, anyone thinking about running for president or making rumblings about that, it's automatically eliminated. They refuse to allow, and I think this is a good policy, the NGA to be used as kind of a launching pad for a presidential campaign. So the fact that he is in leadership tells me, told me last year he's not running for president. And I wouldn't expect him to run for president. I don't think, um, I don't, I, I'm going to say it. I don't think anyone from Utah will ever get elected for president. I think that's why John Huntsman oh, come on, campaign, launched his campaign from the from New York and, and moved back east. I, I, I honestly don't. I think you, I think, uh, I think it would be very difficult to, to be elected from president from, from a small state like Utah. And I think that what we've learned from Huntsman and Romney, Romney is that the Mormon, the Mormon thing is, is a huge, is a huge issue for voters. Um, but back to Cox, I think it's a huge vote of confidence from, from the other governors. I mean, they like him. Um, yeah. I think it's hard to deny he's only been a governor for two years and he's going, he's in line to next year be the chair of the national government association so he's making good impressions i like him uh the far right in utah hates him because he's not conservative enough um which, which is interesting i think most democrats in utah like him but they think he's not liberal enough so in any event uh, i'll continue to say governor cox is a good guy um i think he's trying to do his best he's far from perfect i don't agree with him 100 percent of the time but i do agree with him most of the time and um, I like him and I'm glad he's our governor. So, and I, I think the rest of the nation's getting to know him as well. Yeah, that's well taken. Although, remember, Bill Clinton did win from Arkansas, which is, has a smaller population than Utah. 30 so years ago. Give up. 30 years ago. 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So the State of the Union happened this past week as well. And with each passing year, I think the, the tradition of the State of the Union has become less and less interesting. This year was no different. I thought the speech was boring. It was a recitation of progressive platitudes delivered by a president, let's be honest, who's lost his fastball many, many years ago. But maybe the most interesting part of the night was had a Utah angle, and that is Senator Mitt Romney's interaction with this new congressman from New York, George Santos. So, Todd, you've made some public comments about this episode you want to tell us about it and your thoughts well yeah and i i want to go back a month or more i was probably one of the first republicans um at least in utah probably the first republican in utah to publicly tweet that santos doesn't belong in congress um he's breached the trust of his voters i'm not saying that you know i'm not saying that they shouldn't have sat him but i'm glad that he's getting the scrutiny is i'm glad that he's under ethical investigation i have zero respect for what he did and the only redeeming thing about Santos is as bad as he was, he's probably slightly less worse than his Democratic opponent. Um, <laughs> and the, the media completely shirked its responsibility to investigate this guy. They were so in love with the fact that we had a Republican and a Democrat running for Congress, and they were both homosexual, that they just had this little love affair that they thought it was so cool that they had a gay Republican on the ballot. And then he... He he stumbles and trips and falls and wins. And then they're like, oh, who is this guy? Oh, he's he's a liar. And he's lied about every significant moment of his life is who he is, what he believes in. And apparently he caused some legal trouble when he lived in Brazil. And I just I I hope he gets booted out. And I hope he gets replaced by another Republican because 
we have such a slim majority. So um, I think what Mitt Romney said to Santos, you don't belong here, is exactly right. And I think what I like about Mitt Romney is he says what he thinks when he thinks it. And I don't think he really is afraid of the repercussions. And um, and so all I did was I tweeted an article about what Romney said, and I said, he's not wrong. And then, of course, all of the partisanship comes out. Well, why do you wait till now to say it? Well, this is the first time he's ever met George Santos. And he said, you don't belong here. And he doesn't belong there. Santos uh, should probably resign. I don't know the the procedure in New York to replace a congressman. You know, obviously, what do we have? A four seat majority in the House. So uh, if we lose him, it goes down to three seats. And uh, that just gives more powers to to some of the, I think, extremists in Congress. But in any event, it's disheartening to me that this person ran as a Republican and uh, lied and deceived voters and and and, and won. Um, but I'm also glad that Republicans have a majority in Congress. And so um, I, I guess I am a little bit partisan on the, on the topic. So but he doesn't belong there. And, and I, I um, applaud Mitt Romney for saying it to him. To his... So, I mean, I basically agree with the sentiments uh, and, I, and I do want to stipulate, stipulate I have no sympathy for Congressman Santos. I mean, he's either a pathological liar or he's missing a firm grip on reality. Probably both. He's not well. He's a super weird dude. I wouldn't vote for him. I recommend his constituents don't vote for him next time. Uh, He should resign. He probably won't. But I mean, the fact is the voters did vote for him. And unless he's committed crimes, which he may have, and if he has, then he should be prosecuted and go to jail. But if he's not, then he gets to be the congressman, like whether we like it or not. Yeah. I guess this is my view is like the mainstream media's obsession with this dude has just been bonkers because like nobody cares about a bozo congressman. And, but every breath this guy takes is front page news. And I can only conclude that the New York Times and especially Politico, which I have to read for work, they must just get tons of clicks from the resistance left who, who need their daily fix of outrage. Because like, I can't imagine what normal people care about this guy. Um, now, I don't doubt that Senator Romney's genuinely repulsed by this guy. And you obviously are. I, I, I guess I, this guy is so irrelevant to me that I can't really... <laughs> drum up too too much repulsion uh I, I don't blame you i don't blame senator romney like i said something's clearly wrong with this guy but i think to me like the whole episode just felt like a little too much though you know a little bit too much righteous indignation for a nobody congressman from nowhere and yes he's a liar and a weirdo um you know and and maybe it's fair or not but i mean president biden tells completely fake stories about his life every day they're not as extreme as this guy i totally grant you that but Somehow it's no big deal and it doesn't matter because Biden's not a Republican. Uh, you know, only Republican bozos get the righteous indignation treatment. So and obviously we know there's nothing the media loves more than a Republican bashing a Republican. And I think that I guess what's probably annoying to a lot of people in Utah is, is Romney's in the middle of that a lot of the time. But uh, the ironic thing, you, you put your finger on it, I think, is if Santos was a Democrat, I have a feeling the coverage would be very different because, I mean, a congressman of color who's gay, who likes to dress up and drag. I mean, you know. He, he might have been received differently. Yeah, he'd be like AOC 2.0. Let, let me just say, it, it appears that he may have committed some crimes in Brazil. And now that he's a person of influence, um, it looks like they might uh, look at prosecuting him. And I'm no campaign finance expert, but his campaign finance reports look very, very fishy. And, um, you know, he he reported several expenses for, for $1 less than where he needs to show receipts like numerous of those expenses and therefore 
questionable. So he, he may have broken FEC laws. And, you know, at some level, it ought to be illegal to lie to the voters about who you are and, and what your background is and what your heritage is. I know that's probably not illegal, but I'm saying it, it should be. And I just have zero respect for the man. Um, and uh, I, I just want to also go back to the State of the Union. I think it's it's a it's a little understood fact that the president is required by the Constitution to report to Congress once a year. That can be done by a letter. That's how George Washington did it. The whole spectacle that we're going to have all the Congress join, we're going to have all the TV stations and the president with the vice president and the Speaker of the House sitting behind them. All of that is political theater, and it's it's gotten to be bad theater. I mean, you know, from Nancy Pelosi ripping up Donald Trump's speech to um, and making faces behind him to, you know, um, who is the guy from South Carolina who shouted at Obama, you lie. Joe Wilson. Yeah. Joe Wilson. And then now you've got um, Mark, uh, M M uh, MTG, you know, doing the thumbs down and, you know, uh, Lauren Bobbitt with her and. You know, I I don't like this. I, it's not civil. I I I kind of crave um, decorum um, in this. I and, and I I don't see. I don't know how we ever hit the reset button and get get it back to, you know, to, to where we want it. You know, I didn't like it when Obama kind of dressed down the Supreme Court in one of his State of the Unions with you know six or seven or eight of the justices sitting right there. Um, it just seems like people can't uh, behave themselves and act dignified anymore. And um, I think that's a sad commentary for our country. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, it's, I think it's too bad too. It's turning more into kind of like the, the UK's prime minister question hour or whatever. And, and obviously like, I would just assume Republicans just listen quietly and not clap kind of thing. Um, but the president also was calling them out. Right. And ha he wanted the back and forth and, and uh, they would say that, you know, they would jeer and he would he would come back at him and stuff like that as part of the game. And um, for better or worse, I mean, I think that the whole thing is lame and a waste of time. But and and as you know, he fumbled words, he said he he repeated some lies. But he I would say that Biden won the night because his speechwriters and his staff, they wanted a feisty exchange. They knew they would they knew that uh, Margaret Taylor Greene and others would take the bait and it gave him a chance to show that he could respond to them. Um, this was this was kind of the launch of his his campaign for reelection in 2024. And he showed he's got a little bit of fight left in him, even if he has a hard time reading a teleprompter and getting words to come out of his mouth in an articulate manner. But I also think he played the Republicans because um, because there is there is a little bit of truth to the fact that Rick Scott and Mike Lee 12 years ago and others have kind of played around with this notion that we need to cut back. And, and Biden is as well. I can show you a clip from him on Meet the Press in 2009 when he said Social Security and, Medi and Medicaid have to be on the table, Medicare have to be on the table. And so but, you know, he almost I think he won the night. I think he he dangled some bait in front of some of our extremists and they took the bait. And I think he he won the headline. And so uh, Biden won Congress zero for 2020, uh, 2023. I, I really believe that. I think um, I think he set a trap and they stepped right into it. So you touched on this uh one other piece that happened at the, the State of the Union. So let's cover that. So in his speech, President Biden claimed that Republicans want to sunset Medicare and Social Security as a 
and in particular, he's making that argument in the context of raising the debt ceiling, like Republicans want that as a deal. Response from Republicans was a lot of jeers and boos, um, and you know, kind of rightly so. There are no Republicans that I know of that are championing cutting Social Security or Medicare in exchange for raising the debt ceiling, like none. In fact, McCarthy and McConnell have both specifically said that uh, Social Security and Medicare are off the table. But you're right, there is a backstory in that uh, you have one senator from, from Florida, Rick Scott, who, who put out a plan while he was chair of the uh, Republican campaign arm in the Senate. Um, I thought it was ill-advised. And uh, part of that was he said, let's sunset all government programs. Yeah, and, every five uh, years have to read every it. five years. And then we'll step back and say, which ones do we want to keep and vote on yeah. those again? Yeah. You know, so I think that the, maybe his heart was in the right place, but uh, that probably is not uh, you know, good policy overall. And, and I think uh, President Biden, he jumped on that and said, hey, look, Republicans want to sunset Medicare and Social Security. At the time that this came out, like every Republican said, no, we don't believe yeah. that. McConnell said, while I'm leader, nothing like that is ever going to happen. <laughs> so there was big pushback. Uh, but, but the bottom a, line is, there's he, a kernel of truth. There's a kernel of truth there. That's all. Yeah. I'm so there is a kernel of truth. But Biden knows that, you know, where Republicans are today. Uh, he wanted to score some political points. And as part of this uh, scene, Senator Mike Lee's on video making a face, kind of a, 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 a mocking, kind of like this face of disbelief. Yeah. And uh, it's so it's become a meme. And I think, uh, you know, the media in Utah and others in the progressive resistance quickly put it up on social media side by side with a video of Senator Lee from 2010, his campaign. And he says he wants to phase out social security and he says, pull it up by its roots and get rid by of it. Roots. Yeah. So uh, Senator Lee, you know, he since released a statement explaining how that 2010 statement was taken out of context in the full video. He explains that any current or near beneficiaries of social security wouldn't be harmed by a phase out, but the video let's, I mean, honestly, it really is clear that, you know, what Senator Lee's views were, at least at that time. So, Todd, do you think that those videos were fair, uh, the side-by-side? And do you think it's, uh, you know, at the same time, is it fair for Senator Lee to change his mind after 12 years? Well, I think, um, <laughs> so first of all, I, I think that Utahns want a little bit more dignity and decorum than Mike Lee sitting there with a mocking scowl. So I don't think that was, a, I don't think that was the best day for Mike Lee but like I said before, with his, you know, Trump is Captain Moroni, you know, I think Utahns also have short memories and are willing to forgive and forget, you know, no one wants to be judged by their worst moment. So I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a, you know, uh, I don't think he shot himself in the foot for the long term. Um, but yeah, Mike Lee was captured on video similar to Mitt Romney's 49% or, you know, um, but again, we have this video of Joe Biden in 2009 saying that Social Security and Medicaid should be on the table or Medicare. I keep on saying that wrong. I don't think it's fair to show Mike Lee's video from 2012 and ignore Joe Biden's video from a few years before that. So, again, that's your biased me media grade at work. But, you know, Mike Lee ran for he was running for Senate and, and said something that most Americans don't agree with. And I think his explanation was decent and it was good. But in politics, when you're explaining, you're losing. And so, um, you know, um, so I, I again, the White the White House kind of came out swinging. And you can't say that, you know, it's 100 percent false. There's that same kernel of truth with Mike, Mike Lee. And with the media, um, they're always going to side with the Democrats. And they did. Yeah. Here, so. I mean, there's literally video of Joe Biden saying everything on every side of every <laughs> every issue. <laughs> That's fair. And uh, and I do think it's totally fair to bring that up. And 
Senator Lee in his 2010 video, I mean, he went, he went uh, too far in my opinion. Yeah. Do you think it's fair to say that if we want to save social security and Medicare, that, uh, that we have to get serious about it and uh, we have to take a look at how, um, you know, what needs to be done. So I, I don't like the idea that, uh, that social security and Medicare are completely untouchable because if we leave them untouched, uh, they will go bankrupt. That's what the, um, that's what the reports are showing the trustees report. So, so it is serious, but uh, I'll, you know, look, when this came out and I had democratic friends in DC, just like delighted to hear that. And I was like, can you name a single Republican who would vote for that? I can't, you know, no. it would get zero votes. So yeah, that's not what's on the table. And I do think that, uh, you know, this debt ceiling showdown, we'll have a chance to talk about it more, but I think it's a little dangerous and I, and I, and I don't love the brinksmanship at the same time. Uh, I think it is fair to say that, uh, that the debt bomb here in America is, is ticking and it worries me a lot. So um, I do like that, the, that it's part of the conversation that we do need to cut our debt and deficit. I would prefer we don't do it on the debt ceiling, but, uh, but you know, maybe that's the only place. Well, well, let's call it what it is. Biden and the White House, this is fear-mongering. They're, they're messing with senior citizens' um, livelihoods. They're telling senior citizens, if Republicans get their way, you're going to you know, lose your apartment or your, your home. You're not going to be able to feed yourself. You're not going to pay, pay your bills. And so I, I think it's disgusting what they're doing. And it's not true, as, as you've outlined. But it also uh, is somewhat effective with a certain population of uninformed voters. Yeah. Uh, and and they've, th- this isn't the first time they've done it, and it won't be the, the last time they've done it. And when Rick Scott puts out a plan and when Mike Lee gets recorded saying something stupid, it, it kind of gives, you know, a little bit of legitimacy to, to, to those that fear mongering. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. And, and, and we'll be you know playing with this for a while. But, you know, I, I think most reasonable people, if you look at the federal debt and you realize that, you know, entitlements takes up the, you know, the super majority of our budget. If you're ever going to talk about taking bringing the budget under control, you're going to have to maybe look at, you know, put everything on the table to a certain extent. Does that mean you take Social Security away from poor people? No, but maybe you raise the age. Maybe you look at a means test. Maybe you, you know, um, you know, there are some, I think, non-radical ways to say, you know, um, are, are these conversations worth having? So, yeah. Let's stick with the topic of Senator Mike Lee, because last week he had some other news. He was booted from the Senate Commerce Committee. So with the ratio change, remember, it was a 50-50 Senate. And then uh, the Democrats were able to pick up a seat in in Pennsylvania, Fetterman. And so now they have 51-49 in the Senate. And so the ratios change. And what I mean by that is the number of Democrats on the committee versus the number of Republicans on the committee, how much budget the Republicans get versus the Democrats, that sort of thing. And when so when this ratio changed, a couple of Republicans needed to get dropped from the Commerce Committee. And usually that happens when that happens. It's the it's the folks with the least seniority. But the leader has the discretion. And the way that it works is you're going to as a senator, you're going to rank in order the committees that you want. Usually, basically, the one you have and you like the most, you rank first. I fully suspect that Senator Lee, he ranked judiciary first, probably energy and natural resources second, and uh, and then probably the Commerce Committee third. It's possible, you know, some other members were like had Commerce Committee as their second or first committee, and so and so that's that was part of the kind of the calculation or whatever. 
But I think, you know, much of the conservative uh, media sphere, I mean, to despise McConnell, this is really, I, I do think it's true that this is a, that this is a, a situation where Senator McConnell was letting Mike Lee and also Rick Scott from Florida know, like, who's in charge. <laughs> um, but I do think uh, it's worth saying, like, whether you, whether you hate him or not, like, McConnell doesn't really answer to anyone but the senators in the Republican conference. And, you know, like it or not, he has overwhelming support. So, um, and overwhelming power. So. Yeah. And he does. And, and like, there's a lot of things about McConnell that I don't appreciate, but, uh, I, I don't know that I've seen someone who's more, who's better at like cold calculation and tactics. I mean, he really is brilliant when it comes to that. What, no, what he does with it, we might disagree, like, you know, whether it's good or not, but, so Mike Lee is going to keep judiciary. He's going to keep energy and resources. He's going to keep the Joint Economic Committee. He doesn't have what in, in the Senate we call a Super A Committee. That would be like the Finance Committee, Appropriations, and also Armed Services. Mike Lee was on Armed Services. He ended up getting off. I'm not sure why that is. I don't know that there's a story behind it. Maybe he, he just wanted other, other committees instead. Um, but, you know, this is a bummer for him. He's picking up Budget Committee, which, you know, that's fine. But Budget is kind of a, you know, it's definitely a B committee. Uh, and again, this is definitely McConnell letting him know who's in charge. So um, this is, I mean, this is Mike Lee's 13th year in the U.S. Senate. And um, wh what he showed is he still doesn't know how to read a room. I mean, just, you know, I, and I don't know how else to say it, because uh, you can look at legislatures in all 50 states and you can look at legislatures in Congress. If you do something stupid like a support Rick Scott against Mitch McConnell, when Mitch Scott, Rich, Mitch Scott, uh, Rick Scott has your vote and his vote, and that's about it. Um, uh, there's going to be consequences for that. And and legislative leadership, when he removed uh, Rick Scott and and Mike Lee from Commerce, he sent a chilling message to the other 47, 46 Republicans in the Senate, and um, and 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 said, you know, if if you're going to back someone against me, then then there's going to be a price for it. And and I, the, the fact that Mike Lee didn't expect that that would be the outcome is the shocking part to me. Kind of did what what most legislative leaderships do when there's a little bit of an insurrection going on. But let's let's take a step back, Corey, and remember how we got here. So first of all, you know, you say fifty-one forty-nine. It's actually, um, I guess, forty-nine forty-nine because two of those Democrats are actually not Democrats; they're just caucusing with the Democrats. Bernie Sanders is one of those two. Mm -hmm. um, more importantly, um, Mitch McConnell. Um, you know, D Donald Trump backed some really really bad candidates for the U.S. Senate. And not the one, not the people Mitch McConnell wanted. And then after Trump endorses them and props them up politically, then he doesn't give them any money. He does this fundraising where he gets to keep most of the money. And then Mitch McConnell ends up playing a poker game with a bad hand and, and loses most of those races where the candidates were of lesser quality. We actually won one of those races. Uh, but um, so, you know, again, I, I will blame Donald Trump for the fact that we have, you know, uh, 49 Republicans instead of 51 or 52 or 54. I don't know how you feel about that. But yeah, I mean, th those are my thoughts on that. So um, a, ba a bad and unstrategic move by Mike Lee to support Rick Scott uh, for minority, minority leader of the U.S. Senate. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, I'm on record saying that I think uh, it's that the evidence is pretty clear that those those candidates that were most closely aligned with President Trump had essentially about a minus five drag. That, dr yeah, drag on their on their prospects. And, and that's frustrating. 
I think yeah. I think we can do better. Yeah. All right. I think that's it for Super Bowl Sunday. Let's go watch the game. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Corey. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Todd. See you.